pull out your phone and head to praise.fyi. Get ready to follow along with the scriptures from today's message under message notes. Add your own notes as you listen, and when you're finished, enter your email address to send yourself a copy of the notes. Praise.fyi, your place for everything praise. All right, so grab your phones, go to praise.fyi today to get a hold of the different scriptures that we're going to be in. There are really just a few of them this morning. And let me begin this morning by saying to you, Happy Easter. I am so glad you are here this Easter. Um, It was a great service last week, but we're not done yet with Easter either. Um, uh, And I do want to say a couple things right up front. Number one, you can tell it's still Easter because of the shirt that I am wearing today. There is no way, no way you would ever see me in this shirt. Well, yeah, that's not true at all. (laughs) Whatever. Um, But it is, it is... Uh, something that we want to celebrate not just on one day. Because I don't know about for you, but the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not a one-day gig for me. And so for me, what I want to do is I want to talk about the depths of what Jesus Christ accomplished for us in his death, in his crucifixion, and in his resurrection. Because they do. They affect me deeply. And so I think it's worth talking deeply about. And so that's what we're going to continue to do through this series that we're just calling uh, Easter. So I'm not done with Easter yet. I also want to mention that there are some, that I, I don't normally preach with a, with a pulpit, right? So um, this is a little different for me. I'm used to extemporaneous preaching without notes. And, um, and, and so this is kind of, I'm just letting you in on what's going on here. I'm going to have some, I'm going to struggle, but you're just going to have to come with me because this is new, to, it's not what I'm used to doing, um, but there are some really very specific things that I want to say today, and I want to say them a very specific way. And so as part of that, I, I felt like, you know what, I need to use notes today. So just bear with me through that process, and we'll get through it together, and it'll be okay. Um, I am convinced that Jesus' death and his resurrection do a deep work inside of me. It is his, God's greatest work is the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And God's greatest, deepest work does its greatest and deepest work inside of the deepest parts of my inner person. And if that's the case, I want to know what that looks like. I want to dig into it. I want to chew my way through it. I want to I work through it and then come out the other side recognizing the depths of what God has done And so this is for us a series we're doing. It started the week before Easter, and it's going to continue actually probably for another three weeks now um, because there's just, well, we're really digging into one verse in particular. And that verse is a statement that Paul made to Timothy at the beginning of 1 Timothy. In it, Paul is, he's laying out for Timothy what is the core stuff that's important. Um, He says it's really easy sometimes to get distracted by other things. We can get off in the weeds somewhere. We can get caught up in working through genealogies and stuff like that when there is something that is so much more central. And here's what he says. Here's what's central. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. He says, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart, and a good conscience, and a sincere faith. 
lays it all out for him. That's what it is. That's all, this is the central piece. This is the aim of our charge. And as part of that, what we've been doing is we've just been working through this one verse. It's formed the structure of this series. And we've already talked about a pure heart. The week before Easter, we talked about a pure heart and where a pure heart comes from and how important a pure heart is. It's important, otherwise, without a pure heart, you will not see God. And then as you see God, we are given a pure heart. If you want to listen to it, go back and listen to it. Um, but that was the week before Easter. Then on Easter Sunday, the, the, the sermon was on a good conscience. And I don't know who preaches on a good conscience on Easter Sunday. A guy with two thumbs. That guy, right? But it's so good, and it's so important. And, and even as you think through the far-reaching effects of the power of the resurrection inside of us, it's, it's something that is a daily thing in our lives that God is calling something alive inside of us, and a good conscience is such a good thing because the death of Jesus Christ changes us, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes us. Daily it changes us. It's not a one-time thing. It's every day we interact with, we know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and we are changed through that. But if we've talked about a pure heart, and a good conscience, then today we are on a sincere faith, a sincere faith. And so here's what I want to do today. I just want to think on that phrase a little bit with you, a sincere faith. I just want to meditate on that a little bit, a sincere faith. Now, I don't know if you've ever fallen in love with a word or a phrase before, but I have. Um, really, I've been having a love affair with the... I need to finish that sentence. I've been having a love affair with the word sincere for almost a year now. It started on August 16th, 2018. And for almost a year now, my conscious and my subconscious mind have really been playing around on the side with this idea, this word of sincere. Because August 19th of last year, I was um, preaching a series called Stirred. I don't know if anybody in here remembers it. I'm sure you all have it locked down because, you know, it was such a big deal to you. I preached a sermon as part of that series called The Mind Gorilla. And I went back this week and I reread that message and I was surprised at how good it was. It's like, that's not a half bad sermon right there. And normally that's not the case. Like, if I go back six months or eight months and, and read a sermon, I'm like, who gave the keys to this church to that guy, you know? But this time I read it and I'm like, man, I used to be a pretty good preacher. Because <laughs> it was good, it was so good, and I read through it and I read through it over and over and over again. Um, now, while I say that, the word sincere very specifically is something that just caught me there. And I've been thinking through this idea for, I guess, almost coming up on a year now of, of what does that look like and what does the word sincere mean? In that message, I read from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, which we're not going to turn there now, but there Peter tells the church, listen, I'm leaving soon. I'm going to die. Um, and when I do, I won't be around much longer. Uh, so before I go, I'm going to remind you of some things that you have already learned, which again seems totally counterproductive. 
it seems almost like, not counterproductive, but he should have done, like taken an opportunity to give some new brilliant theology that would rock their world. But that's not what Peter says. Peter says, I'm going to remind you of that which you already know in order to, he says, stir up a sincere mind in you. Stir up a sincere mind. And the reason why he felt he needed to do that is because we have a tendency to, in his words, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 5, he says, we have a tendency to be insincere in our minds. And the way he says it is, we have a tendency to deliberately overlook truths that are uncomfortable for us. So what we do is, and not just overlook them, we deliberately overlook them. If it's something that makes us uncomfortable, if it's something that we don't want to think about, if it's something that's a painful thing to think through, that what we do is we deliberately look over the top of it and ignore the implications of it. And he says, that is an insincere mind. And so what I'm seeking to do is I'm going to remind you of these things that you already know in order to stir up a sincerity of thought. And since that day, since that day when I was studying through that and I came across that word and that passage, like it has really settled in my heart, this idea of sincere thoughts, of not being afraid to think through the things that are uncomfortable to think through. And to look straight at those, those thoughts and those um, implications which may be uncomfortable in our faith and those things that we don't, man, I don't like to talk about that, but I need to because it's a part of it. And so that word sincere for me has had this really, it's just been a breath of fresh air. It's been a breath of fresh air. So when I read this passage, and a good conscience, and a sincere faith, man, I want to know what that looks like. I want to know a sincere faith. What does that mean? What is that? And the reason why I want to know is that if you look at the other things that God does in us in this passage... Each of them are done in such a way inside of us in order that there would be a back pressure against what our culture is, right? He gives us a pure heart. He gives us a pure heart because of the fact that there is a pressure against us in our culture that is adulterous. And he gives us a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into the heavens and is at the right hand of God, having all angels and authorities and powers subjected under his feet. He gives us that good conscience as a back pressure inside of us against a culture with a bad and a weak and a wounded and a hard and a seared conscience. And he gives us that because we are sojourning we are journeying for a little while. We're away from our true home. We're here on earth for a little while. And he wants to give us this strength so that we are not crushed in this culture. And so I want to know what a sincere faith is because of what is the opposite of it. I want to know what a sincere faith is 
because I know that the opposite of, of it is pushing against me in my culture. So now we need to step back, and at least in my mind as I was thinking through this, if I want to know what a sincere faith is, then I should stop and pay attention to what is the opposite of a sincere faith. What is the opposite of an, a sincere faith? And I'm going to just break it down. I'm going to start with the word sincere. Here's what I think is the opposite of sincerity. Insincerity. I am still a good preacher. That's why they pay me the big bucks right there. Okay. The opposite of sincerity is insincerity. I'm a child of the Simpsons generation. Okay. And I grew up on it. I watched it a lot. Thought it was hilarious. It was quick. It was witty. I think it's still on. Um, it's been on for 30 years, and I don't know if that tells you something. Three decades. It's the longest-running sitcom in the U.S. Okay? That says something. But nothing is taken seriously. Everything is deconstructed through irony and satire and sarcasm and sardonic wit. And show after show after show was anchored in this sort of satire with the intention of like deconstructing every anchor and every structure of society. Okay, and there have been some really incredible essays written on this, and I've been reading through them, not from a Christian perspective, but, but the, the basic understanding of, of what's happening in our culture with this, what, what's called the culture of insincerity or the culture of irony is that it is a, it's a result of, of postmodernism and this idea of deconstructing and poking holes in all of these structures that humanity builds. And I loved it. Insincerity and satire and wit and sarcasm. It's fun to poke holes into the goofy constructs of humanity because humans are funny, right? We're like super dumb. And I wonder if anybody busted out some sardonic wit when they were building the Tower of Babel. Let's poke some holes on how goofy what we're doing is right now. But we as humans have this, this now tendency to deconstruct all the things that have been built through irony and through insincerity. We'll get to kind of what I mean by that. But it feels so very good to do. And so that's why I love this show so incredibly much, because it deconstructed all these things, and it just feels fun, and it feels good. But this week, this last week, I was power washing and sealing my back deck, and it's a big back deck, and so it was a big project, and I'd been telling myself that I was going to power wash and seal it for several years, and by several years, I mean... We bought the house in 2012, so I've been telling myself I was going to do it since 2012. But every year, every spring would come, and I'd come up with a reason why I wasn't going to seal it, power wash and seal it this year. So I just left it, and it was getting to the point where the wood was really starting to show, and if I didn't do something, then it was gonna, I was going to end up just having to recover it, you know, and, and redo it. And so 
Monday was an off day for us here at Praise Assembly as a result of Easter, as a result of Good Friday. Um, so all of the staff had Monday off. And so I looked at it and I knew it was time. Something had to be done and it was a beautiful day. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, that's the kind of project that I can get done in one day. And afterwards, I'll sit back and I'll look at it and I'll think, man, uh, uh, that's a pretty good job right there. And so I'm like looking forward to it on Monday. But as I was power washing, I was reminded of the last time I did a project like that. Literally, I was reminded of it by my wife, who said, do you remember the last time you did a project like this? Um, it was at our last house, and we had built this big, big fence around the entire backyard, and so it was much bigger than a fence that I'd ever, I mean, it was really long, a really long run, and, and um, over a period of like four or five years, the, the deck, or the, the fence got weathered, and so we were getting ready to sell. And so I realized I needed to strip it or to power wash it and reseal it. And so I started by getting a really nice big tank thing that goes on your back and you could spray the cleaner and the water on the deck or on the, on the fence to kind of get the mildew and stuff off of it. And, and it was a really hot day. But that was okay because of the fact that like I had this big thing on my back and I don't know if I hadn't sealed the top quite correctly, but the water started pouring down my back. And so, like, it's hot, but it's okay because I've got this refreshing, like, kind of stream going down my back as it's like, ah, oh, it's okay. And I'm like, it's so hot, but then it's just so refreshing and it's good. And it was, it was awesome. And so I got to the point where I emptied it and instead of really, really sealing it well, then I, from then on, I'm like, well, it's all right, you know, just a little bit of water on my back, you know. So I didn't seal it all the way. And so all day long, this is going on about three quarters of the way through, I started feeling this burning on my back. And I thought, oh, that's just sunburn, you know, because it's sunny out, and it's not a big, and so I finished the project, and I come in at this point, my back is like really hurting, and Liz goes, what did you do to your back, and that was the moment when I realized that the cleaner that I was putting in the water was bleach, <laughs> and bleach had been all day long, six hours streaming down my back. And my back, I like washed it off as quickly as I could, but it was too late. And what had felt so good had in fact completely burned and seared my skin. I couldn't sleep on my back for weeks. It was red and it was bubbly and, and, and blistery and that is what happened. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 2, Paul talks to Timothy about what insincerity does inside of our hearts. Here's what he says. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. It's just, this is the whole verse, but it's right in the middle of a larger statement he's making. It's just one phrase. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. You know what I think is so incredibly interesting when I read through scriptures? How many times I find the words pure heart tied together with good conscience or good conscience tied together with sincere faith. And here you see this same idea of insincerity and it affects our inner person. And insincerity is the, is the language of our day, right? Everything is said with a deadpan, but everybody knows that that person doesn't actually mean what they're saying. It's insincerity. 
It's the language of our day, and the effect of insincerity is corrosive on us. I think insincerity is corrosive to our inner person. An insincere mind is corrosive to logical thinking. Insincere motivations are corrosive to our consciences. Insincere hearts are totally corrosive to our self-understanding. Insincerity sears the conscience. Did you know that the word sarcasm is actually from the Greek word sarcasm, which literally translates to a tearing of the flesh? Insincerity of action, word, thought, motivation undermines the very essence of our affections. Insincerity is like crawling under your crawl space in your house and unleashing a a whole colony of termites. It completely undermines the entire structure. So insincerity is about poking holes and breaking down. But the problem is, sarcasm can never build. Sardonic wit cannot construct something new. All it can do is tear down. So the opposite of sincere is insincerity, which is the language of our culture. But now let's talk about cynicism, which I believe is the opposite of faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Love that issues from a sincere faith. Faith is more than just belief. James is clear on that. He says that when when he talks about faith, he says that faith is more than just belief. It's a reliance or a trust. And when we declare Jesus Christ as Lord, that's what we're doing. So as I try to picture what the opposite of faith is, I, I don't think it's unbelief. I don't think the opposite of faith is unbelief. I think the opposite of faith is a deep distrust. And I would say, I would call it cynicism. Cynicism is a deep distrust or suspicion of anyone and anything, but especially of those who are in power. It is the opposite of trust. And the thing about cynicism is that it can have this veneer of spirituality, right? But when you push against it, it just kind of disappears. It evaporates like smoke because it doesn't actually take a position of its own. Cynicism is just about pointing at something else and saying, that is broken, and, and so it points out errors in others as if it's some kind of a grand accomplishment. But cynicism is just the setting of our default switch to de- distrust. Someone once said, and I don't know who it was, but it was really great, so I'll take credit for it. Cynicism is the temple to which we finally come after stopovers at the houses of all the other gods. It's the temple at the end of Temple Row. And so I would say that the opposite of sincere is insincerity, and the opposite of faith is cynicism. And so the opposite of a sincere faith would be an insincere cynicism. And the reason a sincere faith is necessary for us to have internally is because the water that we are drinking, the air that we are breathing in our culture is an insincere cynicism. It's the flavor of our age. Everything is insincere. Everything is cynical. 
bored, distant, insincere mockery is the language of today. And all things are hyped, and never never will anything be real or authentic. And so it's so a part of our environment that we don't even know that it's there. And for me, I was weaned on this stuff, right? Like, it's my generation. Insincere cynicism has an appeal to it. The strong appeal to it is that it's a safe place to be. It's safe to be insincere and cynical because it's a guarded place to live. It provides layers of protection, right? Because the basic statement of insincere cynicism is I don't mean what I'm saying right now because no one else is being honest either. And all of it said with a deadpan. And the basic statement and everything is just a smokescreen and nothing is staked out as truth or a position. And everything is deconstructed, and nothing is ever lovingly built, and then the real me can never be criticized because you don't even know the real me, and you cannot criticize my effort in building something because I haven't built anything. All I've done is pointed at the things that other people have built and poked holes in them. And that's safe, and that's protected, and that's guarded. But over and against that, then, Christ calls us to a sincere faith. First, he calls us to sincerity. Next, he calls us to faith. And then, ultimately, he calls us to a sincere faith. Here's what I mean by that. God wants us to be sincere. He makes this point really very clear. He wants us to have a sincere heart in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. A sincere mind in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. A sincere faith here in 1 Timothy 1, 5. A sincere wisdom in James chapter 3, verse 17. A sincere devotion to Christ in 2 Corinthians 11, 3. A sincere brotherly love for all believers in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. He wants sincerity. But the thing about sincerity is that somebody always has to make the first move. I've had plenty of opportunities to sit down with a bunch of other pastors. And and, and the first time that I sat in a room with so many other pastors and all of them were way more accomplished than I, I am. But I'm sitting there around all these other pastors and I realized, oh man, pastors can be so incredibly guarded. And if ever I was given an opportunity to preach in another church, I would preach from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, because of why I think that is. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Oh, that's good. But as I sat in this room of preachers far more accomplished than me, I had this deep realization because I could feel the cold distance of insincerity, of guardedness. And so I led with sincerity. And I said, here are the things that I'm struggling with. These are the areas that I'm most inadequate for the task. And it was like the dam burst All of a sudden, everyone was much more sincere. Changed the entire dynamic in the room. 
someone always needs to lead with sincerity and vulnerability. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 11 through 13 says, this is Paul talking to the Corinthians. He says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children. Widen your hearts also. Our heart is wide open. Widen your hearts also. Sincerity and vulnerability will always be the response to sincerity and vulnerability. But someone needs to make the first move. What was Christ's on the cross but the greatest act of vulnerability, the greatest act of sincerity, the greatest call for us to be the same? He was shamed and naked and fully exposed. It's the perfect move towards those who are insincere. It is our God saying to us, my heart is wide open. Widen your hearts also. Christ on the cross is the answer to our insincerity. Next to faith, he calls us to faith. I'm convinced that there is only one escape route for cynicism. Cynicism reserves its greatest eye roll for those who are in power. It reserves its most crooked smirk for the greatest power structures. The more powerful, the more suspicious we are. And unfortunately, time and time again, those suspicions are proved to be legitimate. Time and time again, our leaders are proved unfaithful and untrustworthy. Our pastors have moral failures, or maybe even worse, they just turn out to be total jerks. And our politicians, dare I say it, lie. And so time and time again, our cynicism is proved right. And so it tells us I'm a prophet, and our faith and faithlessness grows. But just as Jesus' death on the cross is a call to sincerity, so his resurrection and elevation are a call to faith and a call to trust. Because our cynicism meets its match in the risen Christ. The one who is all-powerful, sitting at the head of the greatest power structure of all time, the one under whose feet all things are subjected. And what does the king of this great kingdom do with his power? The one under whose feet are all things? Oh, he washes feet. And he doesn't enter on a charger. He comes on a donkey. This is our king. And this is his kingdom. Absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? Except in the hands of Jesus Christ. In his hands, absolute power comforts absolutely. Because he's the king who wipes every tear from our eyes. He's the one who raises us up with him and seats us with him. This is a king who is worthy of our faith, worthy of our deepest trust, and worthy of our complete reliance. Our cynicism meets its match in Jesus Christ risen. Because our cynicism is not the last word. Jesus Christ is. Because he was the word at the beginning. 
And he will be the word at the end, which makes him the last word. And our cynicism cannot stand in his presence. We come to him and we finally find the one who will not betray us and who will never fail us. He declared that the sun and the moon will fall from the sky before his word and promises can be broken. He has never lied and he has never broken his word. Here is one who is trustworthy. Trustworthy. He is trustworthy. That is our king. So we put our faith in him. We put our trust in him. And our cynicism is crucified in Christ. So he calls us first to sincerity. Next, to faith, and ultimately to a sincere faith. And this, friends, is when it gets to be beautiful. When you add the water of sincerity and the seed of faith, you end up with the most beautiful of ends. This is the sort of thing out of which fruit grows. And it's vulnerable, and it's unguarded, and it's risky, and it's rich, and it's rewarding, and it's filling. It involves tears, and it involves joy, and it isn't afraid of the emotion that springs from that fullness. You know what's interesting to me is Paul talks about sincere faith in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. So the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. But then exactly one book later, not one chapter later, but one book later, he refers to sincere faith again. Flip over one book to the right to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Instead of starting in verse 5, let's start in verse 3. But I want to get to verse 5 because he talks about it again in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5. Here's what it says. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors... With a clear conscience. Again, you've got conscience tied together with sincere faith. So interesting, right? As I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. And I'm reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. This is a great passage for Mother's Day also a great passage for sincere faith and I love right before that right when he talks about I remember your tears I long to see you that I may be filled with joy so he looks forward to seeing Timothy again so we can watch Timothy cry because it'll give him joy which seems like super calloused at first but that's not what he's saying He's saying that there's something about Timothy's tears that makes Paul long to see him and long to see his family and long to see the tears. There's something about his tears that fills Paul with joy. And ultimately, there is something about Timothy's tears that remind Paul of his sincere faith. He says, you have joy. I have joy because you have tears. Why? Because of a faith which is sincere, boy, that's something others can feel. And I've learned that my heart is like a tuning fork. And that I can sit across the table from somebody who might be from a completely different demographic than me. Maybe never met before. But my heart starts ringing in tune with their heart. 
because of a sincere faith. And all of a sudden there's joy. And all of a sudden there's tears. And all of a sudden there's vulnerability. And all of a sudden there's sincerity. And Paul here is in totally different background than Timothy. Do you think it's interesting that he brings up his ancestors here? Right? Paul's background was different than Timothy. Paul was circumcised at eight days or whatever, right? Timothy, at a much older and more painful age, was circumcised. Totally different backgrounds. And yet for Paul, when he sees Timothy, it's not about the background. It's not about the demographic. It's the fact that they both have this sincere faith. And there's joy and there's tears as a result. Because they know each other. And in knowing each other, they know Jesus Christ. The Christ who was crucified. Who crucified their insincerity and their cynicism. And the Christ who was raised again, and in that raising again, their life was raised again with a sincere faith. Our sincere faith pours out love. And so I just want you to start your own love affair with this phrase right here. A sincere faith. A sincere faith. And I want to invite you to question your questions. And I want you to cry out, I believe, help my unbelief. May your insincerity meet the crucified Jesus and your cynicism meet the risen Christ and be transformed into a sincere faith that pours forth tears and joy and ultimately issues issues forth love. Because that is the beauty of the work of Easter inside of us oh may your insincerity meet its match and oh may your cynicism meet its match in jesus christ crucified and risen again a sincere faith this is something inside of us we're going to be talking about this on a much more rich and a much more full way on wednesday night And I invite you, if you catch yourself regularly insincere, if you catch yourself regularly cynical, join us for that. Because God would change your insincere cynicism to a sincere faith. But he is the only one who can. Would you stand with me today? Here's what I want to do to end this service today. I I talk about a sincere faith, and this is something that has really laid a hold of my heart. I mean, a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. Oh, I love that. I want a sincere faith. And I want that cynical attitude and that cynical center to be deconstructed. And I want that insincerity to be questioned. I want to see it in light of Jesus Christ. And I want the same for you. When we talk about the fact that we believe in our heart, we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. That's an interesting phrase. Believe in your heart. It's not just believing, it's believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. 
declaring him as Lord. It's putting our faith, our trust, our belief, the, the, more than just saying it or thinking it, we're actually trusting him in it. Because of the fact that we have a real disposition to insincerity and we have a real disposition to cynicism. And in Jesus Christ, both of those are answered. And both of them can be left at the foot of the cross. And arising inside of us, along with Jesus Christ, can be a sincere faith in him. Because he is the last word. And this morning, if you're in here and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, oh Lord, he would change you. He wants to change you. He wants to do something in you. He wants to bring about a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. But he's the only one who can. As you submit it to him, lay it before him. Come to him today. I'm going to pray, and as I pray, I'm going to just confess Jesus Christ as Lord of my life. And the words themselves will not have effect for you unless you mean it in your heart. That Jesus Christ is Lord and putting your faith in him and more than just believing on him. Because James said the demons do that and they shudder, right? They believe in him. But there's something more of putting our reliance and our trust in him that can change us from the inside out. And that's what he would do in you today. So as I confess him as Lord of my life, I invite you to do the same. Put your faith in him today. Father, we do come to you. And Lord, I have within me, I have within me a predisposition as all of us of insincere cynicism. Oh God, a distrust for any structure and any power and any authority. But oh Lord, my insincere cynicism meets its match in Jesus Christ, the only perfect ruler of all, the only one in whose hands absolute power results in comfort absolutely, the one who wipes every tear from my eye and washes feet, the king who came on a donkey and not on a charger. Oh God, meets its match in you. So Lord, I pray all across this room for those who would say, oh, insincere, cynical, that's me. I just pray right now you would speak to the very depths of their soul and say, I can change you through knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection, not one time, but every day, changed and made in the image of Jesus Christ. Through knowing you and the power of the resurrection, my life is changed, my heart is changed, my inner person is changed, oh God. So, oh Lord, I gaze at the cross, and I gaze at the tomb, and I see that Jesus Christ was enough. And, oh Lord, it might cynicism meets its match and my insincerity meets its match right now i put my faith and my trust completely in you i declare you as lord of my life not just partly not halfway not insincerely but sincerely oh god you are lord of my life you are in control and i rely and i trust in you totally and completely and so god my faith is in you today it is a sincere faith oh god I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus Christ from the grave. And I know that as I do that, oh Lord, that my salvation is in you. And so God, change us from the inside out, I pray. 
And oh Lord, I thank you for it. I praise you for it. And I ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. This morning I'm going to dismiss you in a moment. And if you're in here and you need somebody to pray with you, I would encourage you that as others head out the doors, that instead of heading out, would you head down to the front and pray with this group of people who are across the front. They have sincerely committed themselves to not just pray for you today, but pray for you all week long. They will remember you by name, praying for you all week long in any of those prayer requests. And if you're in here and you do not, you just today for the very first time put your faith in Jesus Christ. Would you, instead of heading out today, come down to the front so that they might be able to talk with you, pray with you, and share with you what those next steps might look like. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so glad that you were here. This is just the beginning. It's not the end. It's just the beginning of what God is doing, and the fun is now, and the work is now, and it's just beginning. But even as you head out today, would you encourage one another and point both all of our attention towards what God would do in Praise Assembly, through Praise Assembly in the years to come. If you need prayer for anything, feel free to come down to the front. We would love, love, love to pray with you. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. God bless you.